This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, The Culture Struggle, our guest today, Michael Parenti, demonstrates that beliefs and practices are readily subjected to political manipulation and that cultures are instruments of social power. Today, many parts of our culture are being commodified, packaged and sold to those who can pay. As a result, we are in an age where folk culture is giving way to a corporate market culture. Parenti has taught at a number of colleges and universities in the United States and abroad, he is the author of 18 books, including Super Patriotism, The Assassination of Julius Caesar, and Inventing Reality. Michael Parenti, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hello, how are you, Mike? I'm, I'm doing real good, and how are you doing today? Okay. Very good. Uh, thank you for uh, being on. I've, I want to ask on, on the culture struggle, what, what, got you, uh, what made you decide to write the book? Is this something that's been brewing inside you for a while, or is this uh, something that was a, uh, a cathartic moment? Uh, yeah, it was an. Uh, uh, no, it's been brewing for a while, okay. and the book covers quite a bit. It talks about how to think about culture and talks about questions regarding race and uh, gender. It shows the way uh, cu- the cultures of the world victimize women in various ways. Um, mostly, it's about how to see that culture is not the way it's usually defined by some anthropologists and sociologists as a the accumulation of past practices and solutions and values of things and all that. That culture is actually quite um, mutable. It changes rather dramatically and that it's riddled with conflict. Mm-hmm. That not everybody in a culture adheres to the culture, that, and many people are victimized by their culture. And I also explore how culture is an, often an instrument of social control and political power. It's both an instrument of political power, and it's a resource. It feeds that power. So, so you're saying that culture and uh, a political co- economy are under the same umbrella, that they should be looked at as one? Oh, no, not as one, because they do different things. You know, the the political economy deals with questions of policy, you know, taxation, spending, resource allotment, who gets what and such. The the culture is, is, um, is, is the background to that. It's the, it's the thing that, in a way, prints the, latent scenarios of of the of the of the political economy in in some ways are you saying it defines the parameters of what political discussion can be about too right political economy is about how the enron rips you off or 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 makes billions of dollars and this and that and 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 the, poli- the political culture is about how how you should respect the captains of industry mm. because they create jobs and they mm. do such good things for us and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the culture is the cloak, in a sense, or the enabler. 
to some, some degree. I mean, cultures are also very varied and complex. You can have you can have within the same society a range of of adherences to particular cultural norms and uh, and the like. You know, for instance, part of our culture is is uh, going to church and and thinking well of people who attend church mm-hmm. regularly, but there are millions of people who don't go to church, you know. Mm-hmm. There are millions of people who don't believe in church. They they believe in in temple or synagogue or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. Koran or, 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 or none of those things. Now, you say in your book that uh, cultural explanations too often ignore material realities. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a culture, you can look at certain things in the culture and say, this explains why we accept this or don't do that and the like. But that always raises the question of, well, why why do we come to that position in the first place? And then you end up, some people end up saying, well, that's, that's in the culture, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're you're explaining something you're using the culture to explain that which needs to be explained. The question is, why is the culture that way? Why is it doing those things instead of something else? Why is it mistreating certain segments of the population and the like? Mm-hmm. And th- that raises the other question of uh, how do you judge cultures? Should you judge cultures? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a real feeling that given the history of ethnocentrism and cultural imperialism where the cultures of the dominant imperial and colonizing society destroy or preempt or take over the cultures of um of of the weaker society mm-hmm. so there's a legacy today of respect the cultures of other places don't go in with your McDonald's and your missionaries and your mm-hmm. and your hamburgers and, you know, and whatever, or, and and preempt what they have, and don't try to tell other people how to live. That's that's a very legitimate position. You get cultural relativism there, but that leads to certain other problems, which are there are things in all cultures which can be judged. And then I I raise. I raised the question, but how do you, how can you judge culture when you're going to be judging it by standards which themselves are culturally defined? And uh, and I get you into a number of interesting things, and I think I yeah. I give an explanation as, as to how, but you got to read the book. Okay, I was just going to say uh, we're speaking with Michael Parente, and the book is the culture struggle. And uh, you were, and uh, so I want to pick up on something you you just said, which is that uh, imperial powers conquering colonial powers uh, impose their own set of values on on the weaker societies. And given the predominance of the United States over the last fifty years, how much of an impact in your in your estimation have we had on the rest of the world in in terms of imposing our p- particular cultural values? I know that's a pretty broad question, but I mean, in, in, in we ha- we are are we not the dominant cultural, or are we the dominant culture in the world today? 
Yes. Um, I don't use the word we because I feel it's not out. Right, it's right. a corporate culture, right. multinational, global corporate culture, yeah. which propagates certain values such as consumerism um, uh, and uh, materialism and the like, and a, a commodified mm-hmm. society, uh, the breaking up of sustainable localized economies uh, and, 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 and breaking them open to uh, mass import mm-hmm. corporate economies mm-hmm. that destroy local variations that mm-hmm. take over and uh, preempt the resources of the society. Yeah. So it leads to uh, terrible political economies, and this is why uh, we're hated so much, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I guess some people would say to that, though, that this is just a free market of ideas, and and this, and it's a matter of supply and demand. That that the culture really isn't doing anything, or that we're not imposing ourselves. People on the outside want this. What what do you say to that? There are things that people do want from this big mass culture. They do want the cars, and they do want some of the clothing and the music and the like. But they often don't want um, the destruction of their farmlands, their water supplies, uh, the ripping up of the land from gold and copper and tin and silver mining or whatever, or the conversion of their farms into big pastures to raise cattle that are used for hamburgers back in the States, you know. Mm. Uh, so there, there are a lot of things they resist and oppose. They oppose the the imposition of globalization that undermines their livelihoods and leaves them penniless in many ways. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a mixed bag of things. Um, I do point out that in these, uh, I don't romanticize other societies and cultures that there are things in them that are very bad, and the way you can judge that is that you can say, I mean, you know, if you hear someone says, you just don't tell us how to live, respect our culture, we do things differently from you. And if that person is talking about the, uh, you know, the sexual mutilation of women or mm-hmm. or, or the, um, the murdering of young girls, uh, it, to restore the family honor if the girl has been raped. Uh, I mean, you're talking about horrible, mm-hmm. horrible practices. And you can say, well, look, over and above all cultures, there are basic human rights. And the, there are people in your own culture who oppose those kind of things mm-hmm. and and do not accept them, including especially the victims, for instance. Um, and so... And and there there are values that transcend all cultures, and I I point to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which which does uh, indeed has been signed onto by 120 countries, mm-hmm. and which recognizes these basic rights, you know, of well-being and and uh, safety and security and equality and such. So we can judge cultures by those universal standards. Do you, do you see an opportunity... Including our own, by the way. Mm-hmm. 
Can I add one other thing? Sure, sure. Because to accept a culture on its own rights, to accept and perceive and embrace a culture as it sees itself, is really to accept the dominant interests in the culture that have manipulated and have been advantaged by that particular culture. It means you accept the illusions that the culture has about itself, mm-hmm. and that's inclu- including your own society. You know, we, we have all sorts of illusions, uh, and there are all sorts of cultural scenarios in our own society that are illusionary, that mm-hmm. are full of malarkey. You know, about every person can rise to the top, and it's a free and open society, and it's opportunity. If you got the, if you got the gumption, yeah. uh, you know, you can make it any way you want, and uh, yeah. and and the like. Those are, oh boy, we love those kind of scenarios, but they're really not true. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. except for rare exceptions. Well, there know. are exceptions, obviously, yeah. and those are the ones that we, we hoist up in front of everybody and say, this can be you. Um, right. Uh, we're speaking with Michael Prenti. The book is The Culture Struggle. Um, and I want to explore just a little bit of uh, one of the, in my mind, one of the side effects of the 60s and the protests and the, um, and, uh, the organizing that was done in the 60s was uh, to build a movement here in the United States and to begin to see that movement spread around the world in what I would refer to as kind of a transnational culture, if you will, where, where the, some of the things that w- you were talking about, the Declaration of Human Rights, mm-hmm. is, is, do you see an opportunity for that kind of sort of cross-border transnational culture to, to, uh, to begin to emerge around the world now that we have, theoretically, we have the Internet, the, the capability of... of of knowing more and more about the rest of the world. Do you see that as an emerging possibility? I see it as a reality, in fact, struggling forward. Yeah. But emerging is, is, a, is, a, is a good word. <clears throat> but maybe you need a stronger word, a sense that it's really struggling to come forward and it's being repressed in many mm-hmm. ways, for instance. You know, for instance, the idea that everybody has the right to an education, mm-hmm. even people from a lower caste, even people who are called women. I mean, okay. this is really a staggering and radical uh, idea. Yeah. The right that uh, let's say let's we don't have to go to Pakistan or you know or Afghanistan. Let's look in this society. The right uh, that everybody has a right to, to get married and have a sanctified. Mm-hmm socially sanctioned uh, uh, conjugal relationship, even to people of the same sex. Well, I mean, yeah, there are all these kinds of ideas, and they're really being resisted fiercely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan picked up guns against the Soviet-supported government in Afghanistan over the because the government said that children and women have the right to an education, and that was it. Forget it. Mm-hmm. You, you first you interfered with the feudal landlords, and you tried land redistribution, and you set up health clinics, which we don't like because you come looking at our women and checking their health. Who wants that? But but when you say they can go to school, well, we'll kill you for that. And yeah. and those people have taken over. And in many cases, it's the 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 travails and costs of the political economy 
the globalization, the imperialism, and the multinational corporate intrusions and costs of those things, the exploitation, yeah. which has, which people are reacting to, and they react in a sometimes retrograde way. That is, instead of forming forces of national liberation against that, let's say, in in this age now, unlike the 60s and 70s, now they are turning to the most retrograde and violent mm-hmm. and intolerant. Uh, forms of cultural resistance and protest, you know, most fundamentalist and violent forms of that, of th- Islamic expression, which are which are not, I want to hasten to add, which are not characteristic of Islam. Right. They are, but they become the most prominent. They're the things that make the headlines, and they're the things we see. You know, well, isn't that a direct result of the the uh, frustration, the inability to to create uh, this is a this is a very tricky area because there's a, a lot of different things. I mean, I'm not <clears throat> certainly not advocating or condoning people putting um, you know IEDs on on roadsides in order to affect a political change, but it does demonstrate a level of frustration with a system that is you're, that is you're unable to get any response from or any change out of, and it is that is to me. I mean, it's obviously the most uh, as you put it retrograde way of going about it, but Right. Or a system that is making changes, but the changes are all working against the well-being of your society, your homes, your village, you know, your the resources in in your in your country and the like. Yeah. And that's the that's the the tricky part of it. And and but that doesn't it doesn't give it inherent virtue, especially if the form of protest takes Take such avenues as bombing marketplaces or schools, you know, and killing innocent people and the like. Right. So this is this is this is the fix we're in now, which many of us said when George Bush, for instance, went in and invaded Iraq under the name of fighting terrorism and the like. We said you're going to be creating more terrorists right. by doing this, and they are. Iraq did not have that kind of terrorism before and it's got it's got it now and it's got it's got the most militant and, and vicious forms of, of of fundamentalist resistance and protest. Yeah. We're speaking with Michael Prenti, the book The Culture Struggle. Uh, near the end of the book, uh you talk about uh, the New Age movement and uh go into hyper individualism. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about that? I had the feeling that it, it, there was a time, just in reading that, that you were supportive of a lot of, of New Age ideals, and yet it has been commodified and to the point that it's been it's more like, uh, uh, well, like you say, it's a hyper-individualism. Well, yeah, I'm still supportive of certain New Age ideals. The idea uh, that we should value our personal relations, that we should not be so treating each other like commodified objects, you know, that mm-hmm. they should be love and caring and regarding and all that. Uh, but like any culture or subculture, you could say uh, not everything here is so so love and roses as it seems, that there, there are certain values here that go awry, and, and that's the way I see hyper-individualism 
and hyper individualism really means um, um, a closing your your critical perceptions, looking away from a, from a critical view of your culture. And I don't think the new age should be doing that. And 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 reducing things to personal attitude and thought, saying you create your own reality. If something bad happens to you, well, you must have wanted it to happen, mm-hmm. and, and the like. You can't really tell that to people who say well, they have, their lives have been destroyed because uh, a big corporation has has poisoned their water, and people have. You know, leukemia cases have developed. And people didn't want that to happen or plan it. or And they start with the hokey-pokey stuff of the, this is the karma from your previous lives. Well, that's a perfectly reactionary view, and it certainly supports the uh, the existing status quo. Yeah. That, you know, the victims, the victims are the cause of their own victimization, or they brought it all on themselves. And... Uh, and the other part of hyper-individualism is to make the individual or the self the center of all your life and energies. Well, that's another way you depoliticize people and, and cause them to put on a pair of blinders in regard to the social forces that are acting on them. And say, you just, I can't, uh, I can't improve society I, until I can improve myself and make myself a better person. Yada yada yada, and, mm-hmm. and well, you never get around to dealing with social forces. And in fact, you can often make yourself a lot better by by fighting for better things in your society. Yeah. I also have a couple of chapters on racism yeah. and point out that racism just doesn't just happen, but it's the outgrowth of 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 two two great and terrible historical forces uh, of the political economy, namely uh, slavery and imperialism. And those two forces, which really meant that stronger interests in one society came in and plundered and dominated and enslaved the other society. And to justify that system of plunder, they fashioned a whole system of racism and say, the, oh, the, well, the people in this society are moral inferiors, they're lazy, they didn't know really what to do with the resources of their world and or, they or, need our guidance and, and the like. Or even, that happening today. We, they need our guidance in Iraq. Right. It's a 5,000-year-old civilization that had a democratic revolution and constitution back in 1958 when they kicked out the British and American oil interests and took over the resources. And all of that was destroyed and the guy who destroyed much of it was Saddam Hussein, who was backed by the CIA. And and yet today we fashion this fictional uh, scenario, which we te- give to the American people. I mean, we the U.S. leaders, uh, the scenario is telling them that uh, well, well, in fact, these people have to learn the blessings of democracy, and we'll go in and kind of show them how to run elections and and the like. It's all it's all too little, too late, and it's hypocritical, and it and it denies the history of the last half century. I'm going to shift gears. We're running very I very. I would slip very... that little riff in. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I, I I appreciate that. We yeah. do. Um, I I want to sh- well, not really shifting gears too much here, but we've only got a couple of minutes. I wanted to ask you um, how you see the next couple of years unfolding in uh, the United States in terms of the politics of. Uh, 
on the national level? Do you see do you see a change in leadership? Please tell me you do, and um, um, that will be a significant change in the direction of the United States. Will the culture shift? Yeah, will the culture? There you go. Will the culture shift? I thought the culture shifted dramatically in 2004. You had an increase, an additional 13 million people voting, which hadn't happened before, and all the exit polls showed all day long showed a victory for Kerry yeah. and a rejection of Bush. But I think the election was stolen and the vote was repressed. And, Did you read uh, the article, the Robert Kennedy article? Or? Well, I've been I've been reading things way yeah. before Kennedy. Yeah. He's, he's, his article is very derivative and and, yeah. and it picks up from what people like Bob Fitrakis says, yeah. as, uh, um, uh, Harvey Wasserman, um, yeah. uh, Mark Crispin Miller, Miller yeah. and and others, um, and many other people, and. Um, yeah, it's good to see it, but it, that, yeah, look where he had to get it published. Sh- yeah. Shades of Carl Bernstein when when things were 30 years ago when the only place he could publish his, his revelations on the CIA and and the U.S. Society was was in Rolling Stone, and that's yeah. where yeah. Kennedy had to publish in Rolling Stone. Well, why wasn't that in the New York Sunday Times magazine or something, you know, or and the I L.A. Times? And I haven't seen anything, sort of a the ripple effect of it has been nil. I haven't seen nil. anything. Yeah, That's right. They responded They responded to the powerful ripple effect of Fox and the right wing. We've said, uh, said oh, they're just sore losers, and there was a no, no election is absolutely perfect, and that was an honest election, and he won that election, and Democrats caved in on that one, and... That's just crazy. Uh, but do you see any? Do you with these new uh, thirteen so million new voters? Do you see something? The Congress in this coming election in November. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to win because they're not going to get an honest count. Yeah. That that uh, we're now facing a permanent majority of retrograde uh, reactionaries who aren't afraid of anything because they know they control the whole system with their touchscreen machines and and. The, well, in that article, the caging, how they would uh, send uh, letters out to uh, people who had recently registered, and if it came back, they took them off the list. All these, there's uh, there's dozens right. of ways of of uh, uh, purging these these voter lists and right. manipulating it, and and doing it right here in California. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first thing Schwarzenegger did with his special election and, and taking over the governorship was to go after the Secretary of State, get yeah. rid of Shelley. Yeah, McPherson. Uh, and, yeah. And, and put McPherson in, and he's now purged up, up, upwards of anywhere from 15 to 45% of the voters in various areas uh, and voting names. And let me guess, predominantly African-American areas. Yeah, African-American, <laughs> Latino, and, and just low-income uh, Democratic yeah. uh, areas generally. Yeah. Well, we we uh, we're. I'm sorry. I, I I. So you don't think we're going to take back? I mean, you don't believe there'll be a change in the Congress? Is that what you're, you're saying? Um, I'd be I I'd be so happy to be proven wrong. <laughs> I, I I would be so happy to be proven wrong. Well, we'll come up there and buy you a drink. <laughs> yeah, is, that right? sounds like a great idea. No, I'll come. I'll buy you guys a drink. <laughs> oh, no, terrific. Really. Well, I want to thank you very much for being a part of Weekly Signals. The book is The Culture Struggle. Michael Parenti, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.